Welcome everybody. Good morning for those of you who are joining. Welcome who are on our live Eddie Chavez Calderon here with Uriel Etcetic. So excited to have our friends here from um, the UFW Foundation. I'm so excited to be with here with Diana Talison Torres, who is a founding executive director of the UFW Foundation United Farm Workers, an organization that mobilizes farm workers across the United States to advocate for more equitable policies from immigration reform to worker protections like heat standards, overtime pay, and pesticide protections. My friends, I want to let everybody know how excited we are to have Diana. Ariel Tzedek has had a campaign of over 300 plus rabbis who are uh, demanding for heat protection for our immigrant workers all across the nation because of the increase of worker violations in our country. So we're super excited to have you, Diana. Thank you so much for being a part of this today. Thank you, Eddie. It's a pleasure to be here and appreciate all of the support you all have provided over the years. Thank you so much, Diana. So tell us a little bit, Diana, uh, what are the attacks happening right now on, on our farm worker and community? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> you know, it's been a, it's certainly been a challenge this year. We have um, farm workers who, as you know, work day in and day out, work throughout the pandemic and our workers who are often the most underpaid um, working in isolated regions of the country. And so um, it just so happens that this year we have had um, a number of, of um, attempts to have farm worker wages um, lowered and Basically in agriculture, we have the H-2A guest worker program. So there are farm workers who come in from Mexico, from different parts of, of the country, sometimes Jamaica, Haiti, et cetera. And the H-2A guest worker program really entails the, the growers or the employer um, request for workers to come into the country. The workers are supposed to be provided with housing. They're supposed to be provided with a specific amount of pay. And so this is called the adverse effect wage rate, right? So some of the protections that we've won at the national level are that uh, farm workers in the guest, guest worker program are paid this adverse effect wage rate to ensure that there isn't an impact, an adverse effect on domestic farm workers who are here in the country. So there are um, attempts by grower associations and growers all over the country to reduce what those workers are being paid. And these are, are very low paid workers as it is. There is an increase maybe of a dollar or less than a dollar um, for H-2A workers in 2023 in different states. And so um, uh, some legislation was introduced um, in um, Georgia, for instance. Um, we have Senator Ossoff, who is a Democrat who partnered with Senator Tillis. Um, and Senator Tillis is a Republican who has not been good on immigration reform issues. Um, and unfortunately, Senator Ossoff 
introduced a bill with Senator Tillis to reduce the wages of, of H-2A guest work, workers. That in turn also impacts domestic workers. And the same thing has happened with three Democrats in Michigan who have now introduced the companion bill on the House side. And so unfortunately, this type of legislation, um, given the, the makeup of the Congress and the fact that um, any legislation introduced this year can also move on to next year. You know, there are will be attempts, we know, through appropriations or through must-pass bills um, where growers may try to insert this type of language um, that would really impact farm workers. And in addition, there's attempts for farm workers in the H-2A guest worker program to also have housing um, or just to diminish the type of protections um, that they have and um, increasing, for instance, uh, the H-2A program to year-round work. And right now it's just seasonal work that can be provided to an H-2A worker. Um, most year-round work goes to farm workers who are already living in this country or domestic workers. Um, and so this is something that in the context of not having immigration reform, you know, we were so close to getting the Farm Workforce Modernization Act passed through the last Congress that would provide farm workers um, throughout the country with the opportunity to gain um, legal status with a path to citizenship um, that uh, was derailed. The American Farm Bureau played a large role in the derailment of that bill. Um, and so we really, are looking to supporters to make sure that, you know, folks who are in Congress are hearing directly from constituents on the ground, that Senator Ossoff is hearing from constituents on the ground about the, the fact that this is really not the way to go. We can't unilaterally reduce the protections of guest workers during a time of high inflation, during a time when farm workers put their lives on the line, during. Um, to work in the pandemic and feed this nation and the world. And so it, it just it doesn't make any sense to me that this is something that would happen. Uh, but the fact is that um, growers often see the ceiling of farm worker wages needing to be below $15 an hour, or to, below a, an amount that doesn't help sustain um, a farm worker and their families. And so it's um, it's not something that surprises me. Um, just in the context that farm workers have always been excluded from so many protections um, at the federal level for so long. Definitely. And speaking of, of Michigan, we uh, were following along the issue with the blueberry farmers in, Mich in, in Michigan, who um, was uncovered to have severe, severe um mistreatments of workers. We were seeing that they were working 12 hours a day without a break, um, 30 people living in a three-bedroom uh, house. How are our, our UFW uh, Foundation and, and the rest of the migrant movement working towards stopping these type of policies uh, continuing to happen uh, within farm worker um, workers um, across the nation? We're, we're seeing a lot of these rising attacks. Yes, well, we certainly 
have known that there is a lot of abuse in the H-2A guest worker program. There are farm workers who, as you mentioned, are working very long hours beyond the, the written contract um, or verbal contract that has been provided to them. So you, uh, you mentioned the workers from, from Michigan. Um, you know, we were investigating a case in Georgia um, where a young man, uh, Miguel Angel Guzman Chavez, died at the age of 24. He was only had a, had a handful of days that he was working in agriculture um, in South Georgia. He was a guest worker from Mexico, um, and he ended up dying from heat exhaustion in, in the summertime a handful of years ago. And as we were investigating this case, we were able to find where he was living, barrack-style housing, um, you know, no air conditioning, very warm inside, um, hotter inside than outside. Um, and the workers were eating cup of noodle soup and drinking Pedialyte um, as their meal and telling our organizer that they'd have been working 16-hour days. So 16-hour days in the midst of Georgia heat in the summer um, and not having very much nutrition, your body doesn't recuperate from the heat at night because it's so hot inside, you're not sleeping well. Um, someone who's just arrived to work in agriculture isn't acclimated to the heat. And so we're seeing these issues over and over again around the country, um, in addition to the types of labor trafficking issues, right? So um, many employers that don't follow um, the law that are um, basically letting the workers know that if they don't do what they're told, they won't be asked back. And so workers will, will try to withstand um, these horrible conditions, um, living conditions that no one should be living in. You described um, what happened in Michigan where workers are living in incredibly tight quarters. Um, we're seeing that in different parts of the country and hearing from workers when we have buzzwords that we hear, like when we're, when we're on the ground and a worker says, I'm trying to figure out how to escape, you know, this is not a good situation. Workers are often being held in locations where it's fenced up, where they're being told they're not allowed to talk to anybody outside of those who are um, living with them in their quarters. And so these are situations that are rampant with abuse. And so a lot of the work that we do in the farm worker movement through the UFW, the UFW Foundation, is to ensure that um, consumers such as yourselves are aware of what's happening on the ground. There's such a lack of transparency in agriculture um, because workers, uh, the vast majority are um, immigrant workers. Uh, many are undocumented living and working in isolated rural regions of the country. And so you really find um, situations where um, there is not a lot of information that gets to consumers or to retailers about what the reality on the ground is. And so when um, we're speaking about these types of conditions, we wanna ensure that we're uplifting the voices of workers themselves, that policymakers, that consumers are hearing directly from farm workers. Um, and so we've really been um, 
doing a lot of advocacy at the national level and with the Biden administration to ensure that the rules and regulations um, that um, H-2A employers have to follow um, are, are changed. And so, in fact, I believe the, the Biden administration um, may have announced what some of those H-2A regulation changes um, are being proposed today. And so there's going to be a comment period where, where we will be finding out very soon um, how long that comment period will be. Um, but the, the reality is that whether it's from the regulatory process or from a legislative process, the enforcement is also really important. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that there's a lack of investigators on the ground that most farm workers will let you know, like, I haven't seen someone come investigate or, or check to see how things are going on the ground or ask me any questions at any point in my career. You know, you really see that there's there's just a lack of infrastructure um, in this country that protects workers on the ground. And so we've been looking at beyond the work, uh, regulatory work, the advocacy work, what are the ways that we can connect with workers um, on the ground? We it's it's very challenging to have physical infrastructure and organizers everywhere in, in rural um, country here, and so we're we're really developing um, digital infrastructure and a digital platform where farm workers can connect with us around the country, um, and so that's something that we've been working on the last. Um, four to five years um, where we know that farm workers are very isolated, but more and more farm workers have cell phones. And so how is it that we can connect with farm workers digitally um, where we're not able to be physically um, so that they understand what their rights are? How can we communicate with them to ensure that they know that there is somewhere to go if they're in a situation that that's a bad situation, such as what you described, Eddie. Thank you. And um, one of our hubs is here in Arizona, where we have, we're surrounded by farm workers, and we have uh, an amazing partnership with uh, our local UFW. Um, but we've noticed an excessive heat that we went through here in Arizona with um I think we surpassed 100 days of 100 plus uh, weather. We're now well into September and it's still 100 plus uh, weather outside, extremely extreme heat. And yet we're still puzzled that there is still no federal heat protection. And as we understand that climate change is continuing to raise the temperature in our communities, what is uh, UFW Foundation and UFW collectively doing to advocate for um, heat protection policies on a federal level? Well, certainly, um, this is an issue that that the farm worker movement's been working on for quite a while. Um, as you may know, in, in California, in 2005, um, we were able to win heat standards in this state, but it took work. Like we were, we were um, communicating with the families of farm workers who had passed away from heat exhaustion. Um, that year and in previous years. And we had been trying for many years to try to get heat standards. And when, when we say heat standards, let me just say it's something incredibly basic that 
workers should have shade, something as basic as shade, that they should have accessible, cool, clean water, and that they have paid rest breaks when they are, as soon as they're needed, um, you know, every person's body is different. And so if a worker feels that they need to take a, a break to really, um, you know, just get a little bit of rest, that like those are the, the most basic of things, trainings, what to do if you're, you're feeling symptoms to make sure that uh, managers are being trained and that they know what to do. What is the emergency plan? These are not like, this isn't rocket science. It's like basic stuff that, we believe should be followed and mandated at every workplace um, in the nation and in particular for outdoor workers, um, they are in particular danger as the climate keeps changes changing. And so we, um, we have been really looking at how do we take what we've won in California and, and have continued to try to make California standards better and especially with the enforcement piece, as I mentioned, the laws on the books aren't always the laws in the fields. And so making sure that there is a lot that investigators are on the ground, that there are organizations such as ours that can be intermediaries to speak on behalf of workers who are reporting abuses or, um, or any type of situation um, to us so we can then report that to Kalosha, for instance. These are all things that can be done in other states and throughout the country. And so we've been, given the situation that we're seeing in particular this summer, um, we really want emergency um, regulations at the federal level to happen. Now, we've been told um, in years past that it takes at least about seven years to get regulations through at the federal level. Well, farm workers keep dying. Um, outdoor workers, you know, are, are so vulnerable to the heat. And so uplifting the stories of what's happening on the ground is certainly something that we're doing, making sure that farm workers and supporters such as yourselves are communicating with the Biden administration is important that they understand what is at stake, that lives are at stake. And you mentioned Arizona, Eddie. I was um, just recently this summer in Yuma County. And as you know, Yuma can get incredibly hot and it's also a very agricultural area um, there in, in Arizona. Um, and we have uh, organizers there on the UFW Foundation's um, side. They're doing some work on the ground. Um, and we found out that a farm worker of 25 years of age, Dario Mendoza, died from heat exhaustion. He was working in melon fields and uh, perished. And so we attended the funeral. And Dario's face looked incredibly dark. He had clearly um, been impacted by the sun. He had only been working for um, a handful of days and that, you know, very weak. He had told his girlfriend um, that they were not providing them with water, that they were not provided, providing them with shade, that he and the, the guys that were going into work with him would have to stop by the, uh, the Circle K in the morning to try to get water and ice for themselves. Now, if you're working in agriculture and 
at that time, that week, it was 118 degrees at the peak of the day that that Dario died. Um, water will become hot very quickly. And so, you know, water has to be replenished with ice, keeping it cool. And that's usually the foreman's job or whoever it is that's assigned that job um, that's also in management. And, um, and so the fact that a young man who had two young children um, passed away from heat exhaustion in Yuma County just doesn't make any sense. It could have been preventable. Um, it, his death could have been avoided. And so the fact that we went to a church full of family members and friends who lost a young one, you know, and who lost a, a young father who has two little ones. Uh, his daughter has had her first day of kindergarten, the day that they held this funeral, um, is just incredibly unnecessary and so incredibly sad. Um, and I must just say that, that that was the first time that I'd attended um, a funeral of a farm worker who passed away from heat exhaustion. I've been working on advocacy um, for 19 years now with a farm worker movement. And the impact of seeing Darius's hands that had been covered with flowers because his family thought his hands just looked incredibly burned and they didn't want folks to see his hands, but they were leathery, they were very dark. They looked like the hands of someone who might have been in their 90s, just really very um, challenging to see the pictures of this young man, you know, with families and friends, and then seeing him um, lifeless. And it was just impactful for me and just, um, really drives us to do the work that we do because we know that these basic things um, aren't being done often. And so in particular, um, you know, it took some years to really start to see shade going up in California, right? We had to really work on the ground to ensure that farm workers understood what their rights were. And that's work that's continuous, but at the national level, I mean, this is we're seeing the death of a farm worker now recently in North Carolina, Dario's death in Arizona. We um, have been investigating two cases of farm worker deaths here in California, where we do have uh, heat protection, but we need more substantial enforcement. Um, and so um, Elidio Hernandez, of 59 years of age, who was working in Tomatillo fields um, near Fresno, um, just recently passed away. So these are these are definitely um, stories that policymakers need to hear, that the Biden administration needs to hear, and that consumers need to hear. Because um, I think all of us really uplifting these stories and being active and letting uh, congressional members. Um, uh, government agencies understand that lives are at stake is incredibly important. Now, while we look at all of these awful things and we think about policy going forth, I'm really interested in the fact of enforcement. And I know you hinted at this, but how do our folks who see clear violations and hear from people saying, help me, where do they go to? How can they support people? How do we keep folks in check? How do uh, we really start to look at enforcement? Because I, I I agree with you. Oftentimes, 
there just isn't enforcement happening. Yeah, more often than not. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's been a reality for a long time. And um, I would say, you know, one of the, the good things that we've been um, able to demonstrate now, I mentioned that in California, we went in 2005, um, a heat regulation, um, but we also had to sue Kalosha later on um, because of the lack of enforcement of the law. And um, when we settled, um, we uh, determined um, through an MOU with Kalosha that the UFW Foundation, the UFW could essentially be an intermediary on the ground, that farm workers could report something to us um, you know, when you're talking about farm workers, many of whom are immigrant, um, indigenous workers who sometimes are, speak the, their indigenous language more so than English or, or Spanish, maybe, um, and who are often undocumented, uh, going to a government agency is incredibly intimidating. Knowing which agency to go to is sometimes not something that that workers are, are aware of, um, or they're just intimidated or scared to do to report something. And so that structure was very helpful because workers knew that they could um, connect with us and that we could anonymously report. Um, you know, we didn't have to give their name. We could report what was happening in which farm, where the workers were located, so that an investigator could go out. And often we were the ones who were walking through um, an investigator of how to get to that field um, because investigators would often get lost. And so um, I would say that, that that kind of structure has been helpful. And I think that, that that's infrastructure that... Um, should be considered throughout the nation. What are organizations um, on the ground or, or having intermediaries that, that understand the farm worker community that are working with the farm worker community um, on the ground or digitally that, that um, can then be intermediaries with the government agencies is something that, that we believe is, is something that can be done now. Um, Folks uh, who are not farm workers are often calling us to report things that they're seeing as well. So I, I would encourage that. That's something that we follow up on um, to try to see what, what information we can find out, um, which agency is, is involved. Um, we're not just talking about um, issues surrounding heat, but like wage theft, sexual abuse, you name it, um, it happens on the ground. And so these are all things that um, ensuring that farm workers understand where they can call, what, what is accessible to them um, so that something can be done is important. But it also takes just a lot of inoculation, right? We, there's tremendous fear of losing your job. And so when workers are, are living paycheck to paycheck, um, sometimes they endure that type of abuse because they're afraid that they're not going to have um, the opportunity to work, um, just work generally to be able to pay for rent or for childcare for their child, et cetera. And so these are all systemic issues that we need to address very broadly. Um, and I would say from a policy perspective, um, I think looking at the context of agriculture historically, right, we have in the 1930s, 
farm workers were excluded from the Fair Labor Standards Act. It was Dixiecrats in the South who had said that they would only vote for the Fair Labor Standards Act if workers who were Black were excluded. Um, and that was um, workers who were in either the agriculture industry, who were farm workers or who were domestic workers, where those just tend to be like Black workers at the time in the South. And so we're talking about Jim Crow era laws that still exist today. Farm workers were excluded from collective bargaining, meaning that around the, the country, they're not allowed to unionize or they can unionize, but there isn't an infrastructure or a system in place to help them. Um, and so we only have a few states in the country where farm workers have the the right to unionize at the state level. New York is one of them, California um, was the first. And so we have a lot to work do here in this country um, because in addition to not having the right to unionize, workers are excluded from overtime and other protections. So when we're hearing about workers working 12 hour days, 16 hour days, 10 hour days, six days a week, seven days a week, um, they're not getting overtime. In fact, there's some rampant wage theft. And so sometimes they're not even making the minimum wage. And so um, a lot of the times when a worker will get hurt, there's no workers compensa compensation in many states. And so that's another thing that workers have been excluded from. So there is a lot of work to be done to ensure that we're building the power and the pressure um, on the ground so that congressional members understand the responsibility at hand to ensure that our food system, when we're talking about sustainability, it's not just like, will we be able to grow food in the future? Are our crops, you know, pesticide free? We're talking also about the workforce. Is the workforce healthy? Is the workforce um, and the workers that are working in our food industry being treated justly? And, you know, the type of exposure to pesticides, it's not just about the plants or consumers, it's also about the workers who are applying that pesticide, who are taking it home when, when it's on their clothes. And so these are, these are issues that may seem overwhelming, <laughs> And but as someone who's been working for almost two decades in, in the farm worker movement, um, as I mentioned, like technology is playing a huge role, right? Like farm workers are now taking video of employers who are being abusive or who are yelling at them. Um, they are now able to connect via their cell phones if there's some type of emergency. And so ensuring that that information is in their hands is super important. And ensuring that H-2A workers who are coming outside of the country into the US um, have that information before they come is incredibly important as well. Um, but we really do believe that, that enforcement lies in the hands of the workers. They're the best enforcers of the law. And so if they have a, a union contract, that union contract and that collective unity with other workers helps them enforce any state or federal law that exists. And it helps them enforce the contract that they have with their employer. And in addition to that, um, 
farm workers having an opportunity to report um, abuses in a way that keeps them anonymous, um, having intermediaries like that, that is um, also a way to, to protect workers. Um, so there's, there's a lot that needs to be done to ensure that there is um, more money that's being appropriated for enforcement, for investigators who are actually going out into the fields right? Like they're investigators and mostly they don't focus on agriculture most of the time. Um, they will be sent to office buildings, to places where um, workers aren't constantly mobile or moving. Um, and so that there's there's work to be done that I think that, that we continue to make progress. Um, but in addition to, to what's already happening, we need folks like yourselves to like help us really uplift what are the solutions at hand and the fact that farm workers are their best enforce, they're the best enforcement mechanism that can protect them in very isolated areas that are often overlooked. Exactly. And what I'm thinking right now, and I know a lot of folks are thinking, is what are the policies that are actively hurting people? And this really starts to think, um, in my head, I start to think about what's happening in Florida. Uh, how are migrants being impacted by the anti-immigrant policy that was just placed in Florida? And what are y'all doing to try to support some of the farm workers there? Where fear has been exacerbated, right? Like we saw that in the past in Arizona, we've seen it like as draconian, awful laws that are meant to create fear, not just amongst farm workers, but amongst um, residents of, of that state. Um, we understand that, you know, farm workers, you know, who've been reaching out to us, who ask questions, who are on social media, who are posting, um, you know, we have organizers in South Georgia who work both in Florida and in Georgia, who've made decisions to stay in, in, in certain states to try to avoid going to Florida. Um, the, the issue here is that we need to ensure that farm workers understand what their rights are. Um, but that we're also highlighting the irony of it all, right? That these are employers play a huge role in ensuring that they also are voicing the need for, for workers and the, the need to protect immigrant workers who make up the vast majority of agribusiness and, and agricultural industry. Um, and so they play a role but when you see that, you know, these are individuals um, or associations um, that are, are often pushing for policies to take rights away from farm workers um, and then are also supporting um, candidates who are anti-immigrant, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I just, I do know that um, farm workers have been very resilient over the years. Um, and, and the fact is that um, there are many organizations on the ground also in Florida who are doing work directly with farm workers. Um, right now, around the country, you know, we, we, during the pandemic, were advocating very heavily to ensure that disaster relief related to the pandemic was provided to farm workers around the country. And so, 
um, the Biden administration allocated close to $700 million in um, disaster relief related to the pandemic to farm and food workers, uh, mainly like meat packing workers and farm workers. And so right now we're implementing this program as one of the organizations that received a grant from um, the US Department of Agriculture. And so we've been working with farm workers in all 50 states and in three territories, um, set up a call center where farm workers are able to call in and we're able to help them apply for the $600 um, in disaster relief. And so that also gives us an opportunity to, to talk with farm workers from different parts of the country, including, including Florida, um, and provide them like hey, this is an organization you can reach out to or uh, organizations that we work with as well who you can be connected to so you don't feel alone, so you know where to go if you run into any issues with um, ICE or, or any other agency that is targeting you. Right. Thank you so much, Deanna. And just to close off, because I know you are an extremely busy person, continuously fighting for the most vulnerable in our community. Oftentimes we hear that, you know, when we're thinking about the uh, migrant workers uh, in history, well, Cesar Chavez did everything. We're done. We're done. Cesar Chavez uh, got us protection and we're done. Nothing else. We don't need to address anything else. How do you respond to that? And how do we continue uh, to advo uh, our advocacy for a lot of our farm workers who bring food to our table? And a lot of us uh, coming into our, especially for Jews, our high holidays coming into our new year, are thinking about our, our fresh fruit and what new fruit we're going to bring to our table. Well, Caesar's legacy continues, right? The, the he and Dolores Huerta and other um wonderful champions, the farm workers, um, really fought to get this farm worker movement started. And um, it is a continuous journey um, and cause um, because regardless in, in, in the US, the agricultural industry has continued um, this culture of exploitation and exclusion. And so, you know, as as we continue to to make more progress, because we are winning some contracts in New York, we're doing organizing work through the union here in California, we're winning new laws at state levels, um, pushing for more enforcement. But the I can't stress enough how important consumer pressure is. Um, and so, you know, I really um, believe that the more that consumers do to ensure that retailers are understanding, like if you're shopping at Whole Foods, if you're shopping at Costco, wherever it is, that they understand also like what it is um, that consumers care about. And so being very vocal about expectations is important. important. And then just staying connected with us, you know, the UFW, UFW.org, um, and the UFW Foundation, um, we're constantly um, raising funds to try to ensure that we are um, on the ground or um, digitally connecting to workers, that we're doing the advocacy work that's needed, taking farm workers to Washington, D.C. or to state capitals, um, making those connections with families to ensure that they um, understand that being vocal is important. Um, and so I would just um, encourage folks to just stay connected with this cause, that this 
continues to be work that's needed and that you are a very important element of making progress in agriculture, ensuring that those who food feed this nation are able to feed their own families. Deeply appreciate you and all of UFW's foundation's work and UFW across. Uh, thank you so, so much for continuing to fight for the most vulnerable in our community. We look to continue to partner with you all in raising awareness and advocacy for our farm workers nationwide. Diana Torres, thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing day. And I appreciate everybody watching here. I encourage you all to take a look at UFW Foundation's work. Make sure you follow them on social media and stay up to date with their amazing work. Thank you so much, everybody. Shana Tova. Bye-bye.